0: Hi there, this is Peter Bergman. You've got Oz in your ears. It is Tuesday, July 19th, 2011. We are in the midst of the debt crisis. Yo, it's scary. Proving once again that everything you know is wrong. Yes, it's debt crisis all the time, 24-7. Well. We have a new set of Republicans in office that are causing all this trouble. And it is really pissing off the so-called traditional Republicans with whom we've dealt with generally for the last, what, 150 years? The debate over raising the nation's debt ceiling has driven a wedge between establishment Republicans and their Tea Party counterparts. And Mike Allen reports that party elders are practically spitting contempt for what they call the default caucus, the House and Senate members who say they won't vote to raise the debt ceiling under any circumstances. And we'll get back to a uh, critique of not under any circumstances in a while. Said one of these traditional Republicans, I'm embarrassed to be a Republican. These guys don't understand capital markets. This isn't about who wins an election. This is about whether people are going to be able to finance a house. Yeah, they got it. I know that Mitch McConnell and all of his dear friends will do anything to bring Obama down. But you've got to draw a line somewhere. And it doesn't have to be in the sand. You know, as we move on into this whole deficit discussion, let's, let's give a tip of the hat to Ike. Eisenhower, who knew what it was all about, he said in his campaign kickoff speech in 1952, and by the way, he ran as a Republican, being an independent all his life, because Harry Truman had actually run up a deficit of $14 billion at the time, and this was after World War II, when we had the largest deficit in relationship to GDP. Okay, in his campaign speech, he spent most of his time on fiscal matters, warning that, quote, today staggering federal expenditures for civil and military purposes have soared to totals beyond the comprehension of ordinary individuals. Heedless expense is an investment in bankruptcy. He said civil and military. Military is really not on the table today. Obama has mentioned it, but we know It's just marginal. If we're going to talk about ripping entitlements away from people who have paid for them or have medical difficulties, who are our brothers and sisters, let's talk about shrinking the military budget. Well, one of my favorite pundits, John Avlon, has written an article. In he he works for the Daily Beast, an, an interesting blog, and he has a story on delinkage between fiscal responsibility and deficits in the GOP. GOP traditionally known for fiscal responsibility, they're supposed to be the ones to you know be conservative with spending, and the Democrats are Keynesians who are constantly pump priming. Well, that was a nice balance, but now it's gone way beyond that. He said when George Bush took office. George W. Bush took office. R.W. He squandered the surplus that he got from Clinton on tax cuts whose costs were compounded by two unfunded, one illegal foreign war, and a growth in domestic discretionary spending that outpaced even LBJ. And LBJ was spending it not only on another illegal war in Vietnam, but on the war on poverty, a real war, an expensive war. Where's that war today? I War, struggle, work against, triumph over. Avalon says, this pain-free approach was encouraged by Republican House leaders like Tom DeLay and others as a way to buy a permanent majority. This is when de-linkage occurred. As Vice President Cheney famously told first-term Treasury Secretary Paul O'Neill, deficits don't matter. That's right. From the Republicans, we get the deficits don't matter because they can buy a permanent majority. Oh, they were just as cynical then as they are now. Mitch McConnell is just less graceful. He's a guy who's supposed to be some kind of cool political operative, but that's not how he comes off. He comes off as a real dodo. Now, David Brooks, I would call, if not a conservative blogger, certainly middle of the road, is into dissecting where the GOP stands today. He identifies the four classifications of GOPs who have refused to seize the chance to usher in the largest cut in the size of government in American history. Let's remember Obama put four trillion on the table and the Democrats were freaking out and still the Republicans said no because Satan is the tax man, okay. Four types of Republicans. One, the Beltway Bandits. American conservatism now has a rich network of Washington interest groups adept at arousing elderly donors and attracting rich lobbying contracts. That's the Grover Norquist crowd and all the other people who want to shrink government until it's small enough to, I quote them, drown in a bathtub. That is Gothic. Okay, number two, big government blowhard. The talk radio jocks are not in the business of promoting conservative governance. They are in the business of building an audience by stroking the pleasure centers of their listeners. That's right. Limbaugh and all those bozos have no real politics. All they think about is the bucks. And then there's the show horses. Republicans now have a group of political celebrities who are marvelously uninterested in actually producing results. They just want to be seen. And, of course, joining them are the permanent campaigners. For many legislators, the purpose of being in Congress is not to pass laws. It's to create clear contrasts you can take into the next election campaign. Now, I know the job of a politician is to get reelected. But, you know, you can go a bit overboard. Now, Brooks says, all these groups share the same mentality. They do not see politics as the art of the possible. They do not believe in seizing opportunities to make steady, messy progress toward conservative goals. They believe that politics is a cataclysmic struggle. They believe that if they can remain pure in their faith, then someday their party will win a total and permanent victory over its foes. They believe they are gods of the new dawn. Well put. Well, Bill Clinton has the answer as far as he's concerned. I mean, he's, he's a tumbler. He says that he would invoke the so-called constitutional option to raise the national debt ceiling without hesitation and force the courts to stop me. Come at me, baby, in order to prevent a default. Should Congress and the President fail to achieve agreement before the August 2nd deadline, said Clinton, I think the Constitution is clear. And I think this idea that the Congress gets to vote twice on whether to pay for expenditures it has appropriated is crazy. He noted that you shouldn't be able to say, well, we won the last election and we didn't vote for some of that stuff, so we're going to throw the whole country's credit into arrears. You go get them, Bill. And now with my personal analysis of the whole underpinnings of this crisis, you know, I've never been much impressed with the faux revolutionary garb of the Tea Party, but they do represent a strain that is part of our history. Resistance to taxation. In colonial times, it was no taxation without representation. It wasn't about the size of government, it was control of their local government that mattered. The Tea Party sees taxes as the food that feeds the governmental beast. To them, the deficit is the glutton government's unpaid restaurant bill. They actually want to starve the government to punish it for ruining their lives. It's much easier to rail against the not-me in the White House and all those greedy entitled Americans living like kings off of their Social Security and having all those Medicare-supported life-saving operations. To them, these are the new welfare cheaters. I hate taxes crowd believe that if government got out of the way, they could return to the life that has been ripped away from them. They actually suffer the loss of exceptionalism. They want a life of super consumerism, no holds barred and have been fooled into believing that somehow taxes? have something to do with that. Under Reagan, taxes were at 74%, he reduced them to like 35%. We're getting along fine at 74. Those were for the very rich. Here's the second component. Not only are we talking about uh, an inherent distrust of taxes, there's a religious factor. This is the most religious advanced country in the world and it always has been. The Great Awakening inspired the American Revolution and religion was expected to keep our republic moral. We did away with established religion, which is amazing. But all we saw the local church and the local school as the foundations of our culture. So religion wasn't really a matter of making you the few that go to heaven, that get lifted up in the tribulation and all that other sort of like separation. It was the moral glue of this amazing experiment called the American Republic. What's happened now, is that the self-serving, unscrupulous money interests controlling the new anti-tax movement have convinced its adherents that the free market free of taxes and regulation is somehow part of God's economic plan. That's right. Market forces are God's hands at work. Oh, proof once again that everything you know is wrong.